Good evening, everyone. Greetings in the name of the Lord. Thank you for the Charles Wesley beginning for these services. That's very, very appropriate for us. I'm now part of the ministry of a theological seminary, and sometimes folk think, well, what you do over there is just get this all up in the head, right? But I have uh, been shaped across my ministry by the words of Charles Wesley, who for us for one of their for us, the Kingswood School, unite the two so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, holiness and learning combined. <laughs> And uh, so there's something about certainly right thinking, thinking well, being astute when it comes to things of the Bible and theology and rightly dividing the word of truth and all of that. But as Wesleyans, there's also this essential ingredient of a heart strangely warmed (laughs) and what it means to bring those together as we worship the Lord and, and serve the Lord. So these that you're giving yourself to are certainly a vital, vital part of that. And I just wanted to say, uh, just affirm that in you and say thank you for being a congregation that would take the time to just carve out space like this. Uh, it, it's, it's really an act of fasting in a way because there's so much that cries for our attention, that fairly demands our attention in these days, you know. And so to carve out these hours where we would set aside all that shouts at us and come before the Lord and open ourselves to the Lord in a, in a fresh way. Uh, that's an essential spiritual discipline and one that I believe that God uses in our lives in essential ways. I just know I could think back so many times when God's done something of a reset in my own spiritual journey through times like this. And uh, so thank you so much for giving yourself to that. Pastor mentioned this morning that, uh, that, that I do happen to be, uh, up until recently, a fairly hopeless fan of the Chicago Cubs. Thank you for sharing Theo, who led you out of your own exile one day and then uh, came and helped us you know, leave Egypt and find the promised land. So we're really, really happy that he did that. Uh, I had no earthly idea that my life would ever intersect with Chicago in any way. Starla and I grew up in western Oregon in a little sawmill town there called Lebanon, Oregon. We were both raised by uh, fathers who were in the wood products industry. Her dad ran a fleet of log trucks. My dad ran a sawmill. And so that was just kind of our life growing up. And we thought that was just the world, you know. And uh, into ministry about the time that she was crossing my pathway and uh, we got married way too young, way too young. I was, was in my freshman year at Northwest Nazarene College. She was actually had just finished high school, quite actually yet finished, technically finished but not really finished, 17 and old, I know. Right, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> This was no shotgun wedding, so nothing about that. No, no. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, it didn't really bother me. It didn't dawn on me until my daughter turned 17. And all of a sudden, I found a new way. And I actually called my father-in-law and said, what were you thinking? Why didn't you just get a gun and take care of me or something, you know? And he said two great things. He said, number one, I was really happy for you to take her off my hands. 
And then the second thing he said was, and you've always been 40. <laughs> so it's kind of true. I'm sort of an old soul, you know, if you know what that means. And uh, that's been the case. But so we uh, Northwest Nazarene College and then went and moved to Kansas City to attend seminary. And then I thought, well, then we moved back to Oregon and we pastor in Oregon. End of story. That's it. Great. And uh, what we didn't know is that the Lord's providence would take us to the city of Chicago. And uh, early on there in ministry, I was a staff member at Chicago First Church of the Nazarene, and very early on they said, Dorothy Foles is uh, one of our dear senior adult members, and she is in a nursing home on the north side of Chicago. She's, she might not last another day. You need to go, we need to go see her. Go, That's, you, you need to go see her and minister to her. Great, okay. Got in my car, drove up to the north side. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm from a town of 10,000 people, brand new in Chicago. And I tell you, I was terrified, and I got lost, and the traffic was like you wouldn't believe, and you couldn't hardly move your car. And I thought, what in the world has happened? It's the middle of a beautiful June Tuesday afternoon. How can this be? Just inching, 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 finally turn a corner, and there it is, Wrigley Field. And I realized why there's so much traffic, because there's a game, and it's a start all the games in those days started as God intended 1:20 in the afternoon and a game was about to start and I said Lord help Dorothy live another day I'm going in <laughs> and I found a place on the street to dump my car and I walked up and said give me a ticket and I walked in and I was hooked it was over from then on and I suffered with being a Chicago Cubs fan for 35 years until they finally brought it together. Uh, and yeah, Dorothy did live another day. <laughs> and I was able to go and minister to her <laughs> on, many, on actually many other days. She actually lived a good long time. So anyway, that's how I got to be a Chicago Cubs fan. So it wasn't entirely my fault. It just sort of happened to me. Well, we are trying to think together and listen to the Spirit of the Lord together around just this idea of the life you were meant to live. And we started this morning in John chapter 15, the teaching of Jesus to his disciples in those final days as he's getting ready to move to the cross, thinking about what it means to remain and abide in this vital life-giving connection in Christ and how essential it is to nurture that in ways that are not of our own doing not out of our own wisdom, but out of the invitation of a God who wants to do that work in us. So I'd like to continue to think in those ways with us tonight, and we invite you tonight to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Roman church, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll actually come back to Romans another time uh, in, in this uh, series together. But Romans chapter 1, we're going to read together beginning at verse 18. And I alluded this morning to the reality, or well, at least my perception of it, that in the time in which you and I find ourselves, it seems to me that in the life of God's people, in the life of the church, that there are so many of us who seem to be settling for so far less than what God really is offering to us. And so the question I want us to wrestle with just a little bit more tonight is, why do we do that? <laughs> Why, why do we have a tendency to settle for less or kind of mute or guard against a really full-on life in Christ? What, what might be, what's a part of at least what might be going on there? So Romans chapter 1, beginning uh, with, with verse 18. You know, I can, just, I can hardly read the scripture without inviting you to stand with me. I'm just old-fashioned that way. I'm sorry. 
so would you mind? And uh, to me, there's just something about, see, I think that our faith and our, our life in God is an embodied faith. Uh, we've become a little too Gnostic in our time, the separate body and spirit, thinking that our bodies don't matter a whole lot somehow, like we're just going to escape these bodies and get to the real thing. Actually, God created us body, mind, soul, spirit, and we bring it all. <laughs> and so that, that's a part of what I think this is, is, is remembering, I'm all in. <laughs> Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Romans 1, verse 18. But God shows his wrath. Oh, no. On a Sunday night, we're going to go there? But God shows his wrath from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. And from time to time, the world, from the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God made, and they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark, confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people or birds or animals and snakes. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. And so they worshiped the things God made, but not the creator himself, who's to be praised forever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. So as we talk about this idea of the life you were meant to live, I'd love to know what might pop into your head when you hear that phrase. The life you were meant to live. How do you envision that kind of a life? Well, um, I have a vision that pops into my head. It's actually a photo that I have on my phone that I took a few months ago. It's just an example of, I think, the life I was meant to live. You see, uh, Starla and I celebrated our 40th, now you can figure out how old we are, our 40th wedding anniversary this past December. And so we decided, now that's worthy of some kind of celebration. So we, we decided to go, we went on you know, one of those cruises together. Not sure we do that right now, but we went on a cruise uh, together. And it took us to a place uh, in, the, in the southern Caribbean called St. Lucia. Maybe some of you have been there. Oh my, it's like somebody took Oregon and plopped it down in the Caribbean Sea. 
is beautiful, the most, one of the most beautiful islands I've ever seen. And we did this little kind of tour of the island, and, and part of that tour, we didn't really know what was going to happen, but they dropped us off at a beach that had these just chairs and umbrellas, and they said, you could just go sit there. People will bring you things if you want to. And we just went and sat there overlooking the ocean. It would run up right under our chairs. The breeze, the warm breeze, the cool blue. You just, you, can you see it? Dear friends, this is the life I was meant to live <laughs> right here. And I just think, now, what would have made it even better is if there had been, you know, just uh, what I really wanted. I, did, we, I don't know if we even had anything, if we even ordered anything that day. But, you know, a nice iced tea or Coke Zero, something like that. And then a stack of books. That would be the other thing. A stack of books just to sit and be able to go through whenever you desire. That's, that's the life I was meant to live. Well, what comes to your mind? when you think about that. What's the life you were meant to live? Now, lest we get sidetracked into more useless fantasies, let me, let me be, be clear about what it is I'm talking about when I say in this context that we're giving ourselves to in these days, the life you were meant to live. Here's what I mean. We're talking about a life whereby grace, you are able to love God so completely Body, mind, soul, and spirit, that there is no barrier between you and God. Face to face, breath to breath, life to life. We're talking about a life where your heart is at rest with confidence before God because you know just as sure as you know your own name that you belong to God and that God delights in you. It's a life where the burden of guilt before God is gone. (laughs) Thanks be to God. It's a life where the strongholds that once threatened to destroy you have been broken by the power of Christ. It's a life where you awaken every day in the knowledge that by God's grace, and please don't fail to hear me, this is all by God's grace. By God's grace and mercy, you are free. Free from the bondage of anything, free to love God without compromise. I'm saying to us, that's the life we were meant to live. And I don't know how that strikes you. Does it sound like, oh, that's just too good to be true? I'm not sure that could really be the case for me. You see, there seems, there seems to be a problem when we cast a vision like that and hear it put just like that because it does seem to me that so often our temptation, our struggle is to settle for quite a bit less than that. We've all had that experience. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I know my own journey what that experience is like to settle for less than what God is really calling me to and providing for me in Christ Jesus. I'm just asking, why do we never do that? What's going on there? Why do we settle for less? Well, in this opening chapter of his magnificent 
letter to the Romans, I think Paul's giving us a bit of a window of understanding into why it is that people, all of us, have a tendency at settle for less than what God desires for us, and it has something to do, according to Paul, with our well-honed ability to make excuses for ourselves. You know that the standard, if you will, that God has put before us is, oh my, it's high. In fact, it's impossibly high. Do you know, remember what it is? Leviticus 19.2 is the seminal statement of it. You be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, who wants to go get in the front of that line? Not me. I mean, if it's up to me, not me. Who can attain that kind of standard? Well, nobody. That's pretty obvious. Unless... (laughs) Unless, and this is the whole key, friends, unless God is able to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. But before we get to that, and we're going to get to that, but before we get to that, he starts here by talking about this tendency that we have to make excuses for why we so often live beneath our privilege in Christ Jesus. And we are pretty adept at this. We're, we're pretty good at producing excuses for why we can't be 100% in, totally committed to God, why we can't be active in ministry, why we can't give, why we don't spend more time in prayer, why we can't overcome a particular temptation. We get really good at this. And by the way, the culture, even the church culture in which we live, sometimes supports us in those excuses. And I don't know how often I've come to a point in conversation with someone as a pastor or just as a friend, and I've asked them, have you ever really come to the place in your spiritual journey of fully and completely surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, utterly and completely, nothing held back? Have you ever come to that place in your spiritual journey? And so often the answer that comes back goes something like this. Oh, well, yes, but, and the excuses begin for why it is that we can't be all in. And and the, the truth is that if I'm not experiencing true peace, the peace of Christ fully if, if the peace of Christ is not having full rule and reign in my heart and in my life, if I'm not living with a sense of purpose, if I'm not happy even in a sense, now be, I'll be, be careful with that, we'll work more on that, but here's the deal, the problem is not that God failed to deliver. God has already delivered. Did you hear that? God has already delivered. You don't believe me. God has already delivered everything that is needed for a life like I've just described. It has already been delivered in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize what really happened on that cross that we're remembering, that Jesus is walking toward, that we're going to celebrate here in just a few weeks? 
For in that moment that we know so well, we image before us all the time in our crosses, in that very moment, God gathered into God's self in the very body of his son, Jesus Christ. He gathered into himself all, and I mean all, sin and brokenness and death and abuse. He gathered it all into himself and delivered it to death. He holds the keys of death and hell. And the reason we can rejoice in that is the next part (laughs) that you know and will celebrate when it comes Easter. On the third day, God mightily raised him from the dead so that he does in fact hold the keys of death and hell and can and does deliver us from everything that would bind and defeat us. In this text, God, well, before I do that, I guess there's one other little piece I want to say about that. <laughs> if, if what I just said there is true, and uh, by the way, it's true, then I just want to come back to make that point again. If that is true, if that is true, then we have everything, I mean everything we need to be free to be full of peace, to be totally joyful, and even, I'm going to say, to be happy. Not in the world's way of reckoning things necessarily, but in the kingdom's way of reckoning things. Part of what needs to happen there is we need a realignment and a readjustment of what all that means. (laughs) of what it would really mean to be happy, of what it would really mean to experience the good life because we so easily believe the messages that come to us from this world. Now, one of the places I love to go is uh, um, uh, for prayer at times, I've been there a number of times, is uh, it's called Conception Abbey. It's a Benedictine community about 90 miles north of where I live and the monks, the Benedictine monks, that their whole ministry is the ministry of the daily offices of prayer. They pray five or six times a day and invite guests uh, to be a, a part of that. And so we like to go and have prayer retreat there at times. And uh, one of the first times I went there, one of the monks said, we're so happy to have you here. And they were so hospitable. And uh, he said, now as you've come and you're getting settled in, if you discover as you're getting settled that you've forgotten something uh, or that you're missing, just let one of us know. And we'll be happy to teach you how to get along without it. See, see, this world in which you and I are living this life in Jesus, I think we need a little of that skill. I think we need a little of that skill of being taught how to get happily along without so much of what this world is trying to say to us we have to have if we're going to experience any of those things that I just named, peace and joy and happiness. All right. Now, in this text, Paul wants to tell us in no uncertain terms that there really are no excuses 
for living beneath this privilege in Christ. There really are no excuses for keeping God at arm's length, which is exactly, he says, what so many are trying to do. And the reason there's no excuse is because of who God is and what God has done has been fully revealed to us in Jesus and in the world. For example, Paul says God has revealed himself in creation itself. The whole world, Paul says, speaks to us every day of the character of God, if only we're willing to see it. And God also makes himself known to us in the very depths of our own spirit, the very breath that animates us and gives us life. Do you know that longing that we have way down deep inside? that life would be meaningful and fulfilling and peaceful. You realize you didn't just make that up. God put that in you. God made you to experience that and feel that. And through our Lord Jesus Christ, God made a way for you to cross over the barrier of sin that cuts you off from God and be reconciled to the one who made us and loved us before anybody else did. But here's the problem. Paul says correctly that for some reason people have just at times refused to acknowledge all of that or any of that as God. We just chalk it up to, well, that's just how humanity is. There's some sort, some sort of vague sense of the human spirit or the divine that's in all of us or something like that. It's, it's the ridiculous idea that seems increasingly prevalent in our world that somehow there exists within me enough wisdom, grace, and love that I can be my own God. If history's taught us anything, <laughs> it ought to be the truth that human beings are not capable <laughs> of bearing the weight of trying to be their own gods. We just get it wrong. In verse 25 here, Paul calls it exchanging the truth of God for a lie. That's it. That's why we settle for less. It always is. That's the core problem. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie. The, th the problem is the lies can sound so right. The lies can sound so attractive, so good, so sensible. It's so easy for us to begin to grab onto the lies of our world and our culture that tell us that somehow if we just get all the things lined up, we can secure our own lives. We can find our own happy way. And you know what I wish were true? Well, in a way, I wish that statement were only true of people who've never come to know anything about Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, my concern is that so many of us who have experienced life in Christ still sell ourselves way short of what God really wants to do in us and for us. For example, the truth of God is that Jesus Christ died to free you from bondage to sin. That's the truth of it. But how many of us settle for so much less than that? How many of us settle for what I've called the constant cycle of failure and forgiveness, thinking that's the best we can ever do? That we, we, we come up to whatever the, the difficulty, the temptation, the fault is, the, the thing that weighs us down, that has us bound up, we come up against that and we find ourselves, you know, we blow it and we say, oh God, please forgive me, I'm so sorry, I don't want to live that way. And here's good, God always forgives, God always forgives, no doubt, don't ever doubt that. 
But then, and, and then we do okay for a while. We kind of get, we get on with it and do okay, but pretty soon here it comes again. And we can just get into this place where we find ourselves on this hopeless, fairly hopeless cycle of failure and forgiveness. When the truth of the matter is that there is enough power in what Jesus did for us in the cross and resurrection to free us from that cycle. To break the chains that so easily bind us. To bring us to a place not of flawless perfection. No, not till we get to heaven. But a place of true freedom from the tyranny of sin in our lives. From the control and chokehold of sin in our lives. Or let, let me go another way with it. Another example might be that the, the, the truth of God is that when you lay down your life in service to others, that's when you truly live, right? Jesus taught us that. He told us that. He showed us that. When you become the least, that's when you actually become the greatest. That when you give away, that's when you really receive. That's the truth of it. The upside-down kingdom. But how many of us are settling for so much less than that? Because we're so concerned about securing our own way. How many of us are struggling through life in some ways with the same selfish materialistic values of this world? Paul wants us to know that if we're not living the life that we were truly meant to live, it's not really God's fault. (laughs) We need to look at what's going on. In other words, there are no legitimate excuses here. And that's why Paul opens this passage, I think, by saying to us that because of all of that, and it's hard to hear, this is hard to hear, that because of all of that, because that's our tendency in this world to do life that way, making excuses, you know, for how we want to really do it on our own anyway, that's why the, what he calls the wrath of God, those are hard words. We don't think of God that way, rightly so. That the wrath of God is being revealed. So we don't like that kind of talk. But, you know, we, so we find this idea of God's wrath objectionable because we set it in our own terms of human experience of anger uh, or even passion for revenge or something like that. That's not what Paul's talking about here. God's wrath is not temperamental. Quite simply, God's wrath is revealed, as Paul says it here, God's wrath is revealed when he lets us go our own way. Did you hear that part of the text? So God, various translations, God gave them over. That's a terrifying word. C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. You see, the wrath of God is on the world today. It is. But it's not what you might think. It's not coming in fireballs and plagues. It's Coronavirus is not because of God's wrath. It's, it's wipe, you know, wiping out whole cities and some of the ways we might imagine. God's wrath is not, listen to me, it's not vindictive, angry, and retributive. That's not the character of God. 
But a society like ours where anything goes and everyone does what's right in their own eyes, that's a society suffering under the wrath of God. God gave them over. All right, if that's really how you want to go, you are free. The key question here, I guess, is to whom is Paul addressing these penetrating charges? <laughs> as we read in chapter 1, as we read in chapter 1, sounds like maybe he's taking aim at those who just have no concern for God whatsoever. But we move into chapter 2, and it becomes pretty obvious that he is seeing the same spirit at work even among God's chosen people that he sees in the world. And similarly, the church of Jesus Christ, as I alluded to this morning, the church in our time, at times anyway, we just have to tell the truth about ourselves in these days if we're ever going to get better. The truth of the matter is, so often the church of Jesus Christ in these days reflects more the values of the culture in which we find ourselves than it reflects the values of the kingdom of God. And why are so many of us living lives that are not distinct in some ways from the values of the culture and those who don't know Christ? I, there, there is a power failure at work in the church today. And it's because too often we are settling for less than what God really wants to do for us. So, how do you imagine the life you were meant to live? And I'm not talking about umbrellas and iced tea and books on the side and an ocean and, you know, well, that's pretty good, that's pretty good. But seriously, what would your life look like if you were totally at peace? What if exhausting busyness were no longer the order of the day? What if restless anxiety was no longer the order of the night? What if the pain of the past was truly healed and replaced by the generous forgiveness and mercy and renewal of God? What if you could really know joy and even happiness <laughs> that nothing could ever threaten? Oh, loved ones, I'm just trying to say to us tonight, don't sell the gospel short. <laughs> this is what God in Christ has done and is doing to restore and redeem and renew, to make all things new, including you and me. Don't miss out on what it is that God really wants to do in you. Don't hold back. And it might, yeah, sure, it might mean some big changes and all. That's a part of it. In fact, for most of us, full obedience to Christ might mean some significant change in our life. It might have to change how we order our days. It, it might have to change how we use our resources. 
It might mean change in how we think about a lot of things. And I know that kind of change can be frightening. I get it. But I promise you, the changes that God is wanting to accomplish in your life will bring you to a place of freedom and joy that you'll never know if you keep trying to get there on your own. I had a fresh experience of that just this past year. When in a moment of intense pressure in a time, not a moment, a of intense pressure, I, I built into my mind and my heart my solutions for, you know, God, if, here's what you could do, God, to fix this problem. I had it all figured out, including the folk that needed to be taken out of the equation, if you know what I mean. I did, I did come to a place of complete freedom and renewed joy, but it didn't happen because God followed my plan. (laughs) It happened because God, by grace, gave me the capacity, gave me the ability, by his grace, totally by his grace, to let go to surrender. Do you know what was the holdout for me, by the way? I'll just tell you the truth. Because you know, I've, I've been walking the way of Jesus a long time. And I've surrendered a lot. And you know, sometimes I think, Lord, what could be left? You know, I've kind of given it all up here, <laughs> you know. But in that moment, you know what I heard the Lord say to me? Jaron, would you surrender your reputation to me? Ooh, I, I, didn't, I didn't really see before then how I was holding on to that as a precious thing that I wanted to protect, that I thought I had to protect. My character, right? My reputation. I've got to protect that, manage that. And if people are getting in the way of it, then boy, we're enemies. And the truth of the matter is, that in obeying God and saying, okay, God, I don't know where this is going, and it might mean the end of me, but okay, I'm yours. I'm yours. Nothing held on. I'm yours. And I'm just here to testify to you that in that moment and in the moments and days and weeks and months following that, there has been such a precious gift of freedom. And even the renewal of joy. Now, it wasn't a lightning bolt. It's, it's taken some time. But the renewal of joy in the midst of that. So could we hear what I think Paul's trying to invite us to hear in this text? And if the Apostle Paul could come and just sort of sit down next to each one of us tonight and talk to us, he might just put his arm around us and say, so... So, so uh, you know this whole thing about excuses? Well, so what's, what is it for you? <laughs> what's, the, what's the one that you kind of want to hold on to? You know, what's the area that you kind of are so afraid <laughs> to let go of? And maybe part of, even in this week of spiritual deepening, part of what the Lord would like to do for us is to identify even in our, I mean, my goodness, here, bless your heart, you're here on a Sunday night, uh, you're God's precious people, but I just know from my own journey that it can 
we can get to a place of kind of holding on to our thing. And I wonder if in these times we have together, the Lord might want to bring us to a place of a new experience of freedom as we let go. Would you stand with me? Dear gracious God, thank you for speaking to us from your word, but thank you especially, Lord, for the provision you've made for us in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, keep speaking to us. And in these moments of response, God, I pray that you will help us not to be afraid to say yes and amen to your will and your way. And whatever we might be holding on to, whatever we might be afraid of, whatever it is that might have us holding us back, choking us, choking the life out of us maybe, Lord Jesus, would you grant grace to us, even now, to release that into your care and keeping and to find a new place of joy so that we can experience, Lord, the life you meant for us to live. Guide us, direct us, grant us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.